I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, Super Producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, how was your weekend? It was good, Mike. How about yours? You were uh, moving and shaking and shaking and moving. Yeah, busy. Uh, long drive uh, back from my couple weeks in Arizona with the family. A uh, little trip to WrestleMania 39 here in Los Ooh. Angeles when I got back, which we will touch on a bunch during this. But between Taylor Swift in Vegas the weekend before and WrestleMania 39 the weekend after in, at SoFi in Los Angeles, yeah, I, I mean, about as big of events as you could go to in the country at this point in time, maybe south of the final four and the championship games that we're seeing. Yeah. But the big difference is like you said, when you were at the Taylor Swift concert, all these people are here for one person at WrestleMania. I mean, they're there for a lot more. They're there for a lot, but man, the energies in a lot of ways, very similar, which we will get to plenty of because we have got a, uh, there are a lot of sequins actually in both, which is, I think maybe the number one tie that binds wrestling, Swifties, bunch of sequins and sparkles. 
and the national championship game that we'll be talking about today with Kim Mulkey's uh, suit. Hey, man, we got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the podcast tab with the Gojo mm. and Mike Golick Jr. podcast. Uh, we do have plenty of WrestleMania weekend roses to give out to everyone coming off that. Some new news out of the NBA. They have reached a new collective bargaining agreement. But Brandon... We got to start with college basketball right now. It is the sun and the moon as we are releasing this podcast on Monday. We'll have the men's championship coming up tonight, which we will certainly get to. But women's college basketball completed one of the more exciting tournament runs in my lifetime yesterday. LSU are your 2022-2023 national champions in women's college basketball, led by, as you mentioned, Kim Mulkey in an outfit that I thought it was a jacket that was like, people called it like a Lisa Frank jacket because it had a lot of tie-dye element to it. It had a lot of gold there. It was supposed to mimic tiger stripes. I thought it actually looked like the armor that Thanos wore in Avengers Endgame. Okay, Mike, I don't. You have seen that movie one too many times. If you saw Kim Mulkey's fit and you was like, Thanos! Just from distance! Like, it kind of was the vibe. No, from distance, I thought it was just the jacket until I saw that it was a full suit. I was like, oh, she actually outdid herself the game prior. Because I thought that, that whatever outfit she had on for the Final Four game, sorry to boil this down to Kim Mulkey outfits. I'm sure we're going to get to basketball soon. It's just that... I thought she had a little bit of the eye of the tiger with her today. Well, the tiger mascot had been dressing up in whatever Kim had been dressing up in. So I think the Mm. idea here was she flipped the script and she actually wore tiger stripes to mimic the mascot a little bit. So a little bit of chestnut checkers in that situation. But you are right in that it was a lot more than that. This was a game that... We're going to talk about a number of things here, like you're going to have officiating conversation coming off this game, which is warranted based on what we saw. You're going to have a weird sportsmanship game uh, a debate that popped Ooh. up at the very end of this game, even though it's kind of been a threat of the tournament. But what you had in the middle was, <clears throat> I thought, an LSU team that just looked overall top to bottom like the better team throughout the vast majority of this game like we saw in the final four matchup where Iowa did the impossible Caitlin Clark who has been this massive star for women's college basketball throughout the season throughout this tournament going back to last year she's been a household name for over a year now and came into this game with the target on her back Iowa by many people's estimation was favored to win this game and came in off of beating that South Carolina team that was on a massive win streak, that was an overwhelming favorite in that game, and did it in large part because, as we saw, South Carolina, they got the paint packed on them, and they weren't able to knock down shots consistently from the outside. That was not the case for LSU early on in this game. You saw, led by Jasmine Carson early on in this game, they were getting buckets from the outside, and it completely changed the math on how an undersized Iowa team was going to have to defend them. You've got Angel Reese, who was the star name, Bayou Barbie for LSU, coming into this one who is a well-known double-double and a well-known offensive rebounder, and also a phenomenal interior passer. So 
Once you hit Sats from the outside, it opened up space that she already probably didn't need. She's that good, but ended up being the difference. That offense hummed. Defensively, they had the size to bother Caitlin Clark, who got into foul trouble early, like pretty much everyone else in this game. But I thought even removing that part of it, LSU looked like the better basketball team the majority of the way. And so I do want to make sure we congratulate them on what I still think is an earned national championship that they won 102 to 85. Like they left no doubt when it was all said and done. Almost in the way that there was no doubt that Iowa was going to win that game against South Carolina. It was just going way Mm. too fast, way too soon. Like, even when they started doing the full-court press with six minutes left in the second quarter, it just looked like Caitlin Clark was just – they were just chasing her. They just made Caitlin Clark do her thing faster. So, uh, it it was surprising – but once you think about basketball in a team sport and how much it takes for everyone to do something, especially in the national championship game, Mike, like we saw with Max Duggan in the natty for college uh, football, like one player can't do all the things when it comes to the championship games. And I think that's what became abundantly clear, right? Is we knew this was the Caitlin Clark show. That's how it'd been billed. But in reality, you know, you had Sonano who was great in the post and was her counterpart. I think I saw they're the only uh, Big Ten teammates that had 2,000 career points each. Like they, She was stellar for them. Famously yeah. the one that doesn't dribble at all down there in the post as part of the strategy they've deployed at Iowa. So I great. know. It was it, honestly, we stand an efficient mover. Like as someone who does not like moving an awful lot, I love someone who is just hyper efficient, but also lethal. Like got people on their toes and was an incredible force for them in the paint. I was stunned to see her, like as someone who lives in the post, anyone who lives in the post and does that, what we saw her, it was like Clint Capella, like the way it was just like (laughs) grab ball, score, like like running towards the court. And obviously she got in foul trouble and unfortunately got uh, fouled out. Monica. Tanano. Yes, definitely a force. But down there where Reese was living and um, I could see how Iowa was able to not be effective when it comes to just trying to get two pointers in this game well and you know like a lot of big time games some it's also who's going to step up when it's not the star because we talked about caitlin clark foul trouble early you mentioned sonano had foul trouble early angel reese on lsu side had foul trouble early and that's where enter from stage left jasmine freaking carson went freaking off like unconscious in the first half of this game so she had played at georgia tech and west virginia before transferring to lsu like angel reese who also came by way of maryland and before tonight hadn't scored a point in lsu's last three games she came off the bench and ended up in this game with 22 points including 16 points in the first half through perfection like she did not miss a shot in any form or fashion in the first half and making sure i have it 100 percent right here she had in the first half 21 points on seven of seven field goals five of five from three-point land and two of two from the free throw line that was something that messed up the math for iowa and she stepped up off the bench was a huge role player for them she wasn't the only one by any means like you look at the rest of lsu and their scoring there you had dominant performances from uh so we mentioned jasmine carson had 22 alex morris had 21 ladasia williams had 20 in that game angel went for 15 and i think 10 boards so you had so many people pitching in it made it hard versus on the other side it was how many ways can we make sure caitlin clark is the focal point mike the jasmine carson line that i love it's a basketball line 
22 points in 22 minutes. Like that mm. type of stuff, I love to see every time coming off of the bench. She had scored 11 points in the tourney total before that game. So, like, talking about being, getting a chance to step up and just do whatever the team needs to do. And I, how great is it for someone coming off the bench to have to produce in the first quarter? Like, you're talking about the foul trouble. Like, you get out there, big stage, big lights, biggest game. What are you going to do? And she's usually a defender, and they needed her to score. And she did. And she stepped up. And, again, the way in which she scored, doing so much of that damage from three in the first half – made them have to soften up and not be able to just pack the paint, made the freedom of movement for LSU's offense, which looked really crisp the entire day. And so she was a legitimate game changer for that team. One of many, like we talked about. So that was awesome to watch. Iowa did their best, especially in the third quarter, went on like a 15-2 run to start the quarter to make it close. But at the end of the day, between people fouling out and just between the way LSU was able to bother Caitlin Clark, who got called for some offensive fouls that looked like frustration in that game, all these yeah. different things LSU I thought won this game wire to wire in a tournament where like Brandon when we talk about the impact of this tournament overall we've seen everyone talk about TV ratings we've seen everyone talk about the big numbers and over the weekend the final four games were incredible like six million viewers I think was the peak for the Iowa and South Carolina game which was record setting in a number of ways Ooh. you had the highest scoring national title game of all time like we talked about with LSU getting up over 100 as the winning team you have Kim Mulkey as the first women's coach to lead two different teams to a national championship which listen I have a lot of disagreement with Kim Mulkey the person and, and a lot of the things that she has said and done and been involved in in the past. But yeah. it's really impossible to deny what she has done as a force in the game. I heard them talking before about you know her at Louisiana Tech as a player and her coming back there as an assistant coach and what she did. Like Her basketball resume is pretty unassailable, and this was a massive feather in that cap. Yeah, and, and now she's on the Mount Rushmore there. With Gino's yes. got 11 championships and, and Pat Summerall. Uh, excuse me, Pat Summerall, Pat Summit, geez, uh, with eight. And then, yeah, obviously now her with, with three. But the fact that she did it in two different programs, Mike, like that's just – well, and Because like, it hasn't happened is one thing. The fact that it has happened is almost like she's got five in my book, you know? Well, and like this LSU team this year, like based on what we saw last year with this team and then coming in as a three seed in this tournament, how they look during the year, like this wasn't supposed to be what happened for this team based on the way a lot of people saw this situation. Right. And so all of that factors into how incredibly impressive that is. You had – give- an- Okay. Now I just want to give Caitlin Clark a little bit of flowers. And we I, will. I know, we will. We won't. Okay, okay. What I'm saying, we'll lead to that in a second here because we had an NCAA tournament record on the women's side uh, for attendance, all-time attendance, three hundred and fifty-seven thousand five hundred and forty-two, including another sold-out game for the national championship. And to the Caitlin Clark standpoint of her importance in this tournament, most points in an NCAA tournament with one hundred and ninety-three, most assists in the women's NCAA tournament with sixty, and most threes in an NCAA women's title game with eight and that most points in a tournament I believe was men's or women's so she was her this entire freaking tournament like there is no denying the greatness and the unique ability that was Caitlin Clark it was a bunch of those absurd shots with no air that nobody else should be able to make but she did so absolutely Brandon yes please give her more flowers because she deserves them no I mean you said everything it's uh, eclipsed Cheryl Swoops and Glenn Rice uh, on the on the on the men's side of things when it comes to just points in the tourney. I just 
all the energy that LSU gave to Iowa and was on the backs of Caitlin Clark and how effective she had been this entire tournament. I think what uh, they said during the broadcast, they had been down, Iowa had been down by one point in this tournament. Like that was, that was the extent of their deficit. And then coming out of halftime, they were down double digits. And I, I just thought it was, it wasn't just because Caitlin Clark was a shit talker. It was because Caitlin Clark was a tremendous basketball player who made the game look like something that we haven't seen in a very long time when it comes to one player taking over all of it and getting it done. Yeah, it was it was a storybook tournament run. Like we've heard reference when we were talking uh, earlier in the tournament with Kansas State about Marquise Noel and how he talked about watching Kemba Walker's tournament run as right. a guard being able to affect the tournament the way that he did. That is going to be Caitlin Clark and who she is to an entire generation of young women's basketball players, I would imagine. The effect that yeah, she absolutely. was able to have on this team and this tournament. So... From the play side, that was all incredible. We've talked about it and danced around it a little bit already. The officiating in this game was not great. I want to preface this by saying, when I complain about officiating, I'm not saying the refs decided the game. That's why I wanted to start this giving credit to LSU. But they were involved in way too much of the game. Ticky-tack mm. fouls, a bunch of the best players from both teams picking up two early fouls in the first half. You had Caitlin Clark flirting with getting potentially fouled out of this game at the end because they yeah. decided to assess a technical to her, which in my opinion was bullshit. Like I understand the head official had to talk to the pool reporters after the game. She cited a rule about how Iowa had been warned about uh, delay of game already and that by the letter of the law, what happened there was a technical you got I'm sorry you've got to have some awareness that ticky tack saying that and she cursed while she was inside her team huddle wasn't like she walked up to the ref and said fuck you and then walked back to the huddle said something under her breath in the huddle and shouldn't have thrown the ball sure but in that moment I'm sorry you can't make that call there. Everyone, including the broadcast through, thought that was FUBAR, and it just also fit perfectly in with the way this game had been called the rest of the time, which was much too ticky-tack for being the national freaking championship game, where I don't think there were a lot of egregious calls. They stepped up and called some. There were a bunch of offensive fouls on Caitlin Clark, one of which didn't get called, followed immediately by one where she begged them to call it because of how aggressive mm. she was getting. They checked at the appropriate spots, but to me, it was a massive over step and what their role in this game should have been i don't know about overstep mike i am a big proponent of no jersey is above the whistle maybe it's the parent in me do it i do as i say and as i do or just do it and i, I don't want to hear nothing about like we are oh, all anyone you definitely who played, grew up in a military family oh man oh man you ain't lying but i'm saying like we but outside of that mike and the truth of that Everyone who has put a jersey on has been on the other side of just some absolute, utter bullshit that called a game that mattered, didn't matter. They all matter when it comes down to the person playing the whole thing, right? So, like, in my mind, I think I've kind of – I feel like I've been on the other side of those so much that I'm, like, excited to see it happen whenever it does. Because it's like, that was BS. That shouldn't have been called. But the ref did it, and they have their job. And, like, it's, it's, it's a human game with human error. 
It is, but I'm saying that's why they shouldn't be above criticism. That's always my point with refs okay. is we spend so much time criticizing the other two jerseys that are on the field, and it's always seen as like this forbidden thing where leagues are going to find you if you say something bad about officials. And we're not supposed like they're out there like everybody else. They've got a job to do like everybody else that they spend time with. And so when they perform poorly, I reserve the right to criticize because that's the standard we hold everybody else to. And you're right, Brandon. It's one thing. We've all been on the other side of a game that's called in a lot sided way this one was called the same level of shitty for everybody it just sucks sure. because it took away from what was an incredible product the women on the court were doing their jobs and doing them well and the refs in my mind came in and inserted themselves way too much into the conversation i get you've got a job to do but the point should be to do it in a way that doesn't detract from the overall product and right wrong or indifferent however you feel about officials they detracted from the overall product with how much they were involved in the game same way umps that want to show up up and show out in baseball games tend to draw too much look at me louis energy there so yeah. uh, that's that's why i disagree not because i think one team was wronged more than the other but because it was just both teams having to deal too much with the presence of the third team fair but talking about the first team that we talked about here in lsu they were so good in such a complete team or played as such a complete game in the moment that i i can't look at the refs and and say that they mattered one way or another. Like LSU had their had Iowa's number last hundred percent. That is why I said to start, LSU was the better team. My whole point is, though, this is about this is a product, much less than it is its effect on the outcome of the game. And I think as a product, it hurt what was going on on the court in a way that should not be the goal of officiating especially because it wasn't like it was a fist fight. It wasn't like it was some knockdown drag out thing. It was high level competitive basketball that they felt like blowing the whistle for any little thing that's appeared to be contact during the course of that game. So that was one thing that popped up that certainly had everyone hot and bothered. And then man alive, I, I, I don't know what it is about the idea of sportsmanship that gets people so in their feelings. <laughs> but at the end of this game, as LSU's taken a pretty commanding lead, like we said, they ended up winning by like 17 we saw the shots start to go around of Angel Reese who ended up being named the tournament's most outstanding player by the way which you can be you know she was a first team all-american this year all SEC great player you can beef that even in a losing effort Caitlin Clark should have been the most outstanding player in the tournament based on back-to-back 40 40 point games including a 40 point triple double like we talked about her outsized importance to that team there's an argument to have there if you want to have it but Angel Reese has been spectacular and so her being rewarded for that to me not the worst thing that's ever happened here but as they're coming down the stretch of this game we see the footage of Angel Reese giving the John Cena you can't see me to Caitlin Clark. Last time on mm -hmm. Dragon Ball Z, Caitlin Clark was seen giving that to the same crowd as she was on the winning side of things, stunting, showing off in front of the crowd. Caitlin Clark, who's become known, we've talked and gotten to know her a lot during this tournament run, as someone who's not afraid to talk a little shit in a way that's kind of been celebrated. And so yeah. fast forward now, all of a sudden, Angel Reese very purposely, and we saw more extended shots of her like following Caitlin around as they were ending the game, giving her the you can't see me, and pointing to that ring finger on her hand, reminding her what time it was as LSU women's basketball captures their first national championship on the men's or women's Dang. side in that program's history. So she was feeling herself and deservedly so. But man, oh man, I the, the word classless trending is almost always one of the worst days online. And that's kind of what it was there. So 
at a base level, Brandon, I want to start with like, what does the idea of sportsmanship actually mean to you? Because I think in these situations, I always become very interested when people bring up the idea of class and winning the right way. Like, what is the, what does that mean to you? Because clearly to a lot of people, it means don't say anything. And I think for a certain section of people, it means don't say anything, especially if you look a certain way that's a little bit different from how I look, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, of course. I definitely do. Um, but I, I think it's less about sportsmanship and un was it what is it the unsportsmanlike? Yes. Like I think that's where I, I tune in because I don't know what sportsmanship looks like other than playing the game via the rules. You know what I mean? Like, but I do know what um what do you talk what's the Utah Jazz's player? Uh, Grayson Allen. I do know what Grayson Allen looks like. Like I I feel like there's a difference of what the game how the game should be played versus how entertaining a game can be when there's skin in it right like when 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 the players care and i think when there's a certain level of give a f that are in the players playing that's when sportsmanship gets kind of in muddy gray area waters so i i think yeah i think you've hit on it is you said like this idea kind of dance around the idea of like playing it the quote unquote right way, because I think for right. so many of us of a certain age, especially for a long time, and we've seen this culture war happen a lot in major league baseball. Most recently is the right way tended to be in a way that minimizes the individual. The idea of being mm. on a team was the individual did not matter. You were there for the greater part of the whole. And so that meant you weren't going to show up your opponent. You were going to line up like a, the end of hockey series in the NHL that everyone loves. You're all going to line and you were all going to be in the, <laughs> handshake line and you're going to help your opponent up and it's like that dumb basketball the commercial where the guy's like coach the ball went off me like tell the ref it's my fault like it's this antiquated notion that you're going to do every (laughs) virtuous thing by the books over the course of the game which is funny because I remember my dad growing up being the guy that told me on the football field hey you don't need to help your opponent up you're out there to put him on the ground you don't need to help get him off it so my father who is very much of that old school cloth also an incredibly high level competitor who understands that in the heat of battle some shit's going to go sideways and so i think for me like this idea of all these things getting conflated as sportsmanship when really they're just individuality like sportsmanship Mm. to me is are you taking care of each other physically out there and not putting someone unnecessary i always go back to that and we went through this with the fau dunk at the end of the game like that hurt no one much in the same way that angel reese doing this while i'm sure caitlin clark didn't feel great for a number of reasons at the end of the game didn't physically put her in harm's way like Those are the things I worry about going after someone late after a play, going after somebody low, undercutting someone in basketball, all these things that are taboo to the Grayson Allen point you brought up, hitting people in the nuts, stuff like that, that we know like bad, wrong. That to me is the idea of sportsmanship. And yeah, listen, would I always go and you know find the guys that I was playing directly against after the game and usually just dap up like, yeah, that was a part of it too. Like that respect for your opponent idea because of what you're all going through to get to that point. You guys, more than anybody else, know the shared experience that you had to get there. So that was always something that was a part of the way I approached it, but also does not have to necessarily be universal in how you go about things after a game, right? Like, it's that whole idea of it may be the way that you operate and it may be the way that you would even like teach a kid for all the people that always pearl clutch and say, Oh, there's kids watching their pressable. Like it's your job to parent your kid. 
Yeah. That person is not your child who's out there on the court. And so you don't get to tell them how to act in every situation if it doesn't fit your exacting needs of what you think, you know, the amorphous blob of sportsmanship looks like in that space. Yeah, there's, I feel like there's still the the gray area of like, I know, I think, well, I think you made it crystal clear in the sense of it's not F you and your livelihood and your ability to make money and your your existence as a basketball player it's f you in this moment and your and your team and y'all not going to be better than us or y'all not going to do because because what it's well because yeah it's about the back and forth right like this is also part of the live by the sword die by the sword nature of talking shit and we mentioned it caitlin clark has been known as a shit talker in the lead up to this this lsu team has been known to have a lot of personality a lot of big i mean they got like a flage is on their team and is a rapper like she was celebrating the tournament win with her own song playing inside the arena after the game they got big personalities on that team hell angel reese they call her bayou barbie like all that stuff is awesome you've got individual stories to tell which is a huge part of the world of sports but with caitlin clark she also views this as something important i went and looked there was an article in the daily iowan back in january brandon that i think frames this perfectly through all of the parties involved like you look at caitlin clark back in january got teed up in a game because she said damn like kind of under her breath like that was Mm -hmm. the curse that got her teed up and her response was it's kind of frustrating but that's how things go sometimes in women's basketball people need to play with passion people need to play with fire that's what it's about that's who i am that's what draws people to the game and that's what draws people to our team we're excited we're fun we're competitive that's why women's basketball is great and that's why it's going to grow you had that from her you had her you had her head coach coach bluter who said at the very end of this article If people want to talk trash, that's up to them. It doesn't matter to me. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you think is going to help you, you have to do to impose your will upon somebody else, so be it. I never ask because it doesn't matter to me. And last but not least, you had Angel Reese who tweeted back in January, quote, I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. I don't fit the narrative and I'm okay with that. I'm from Baltimore where you hoop outside and talk trash. If it was a boy, y'all wouldn't be saying none at all. Let's normalize women showing passion for the game instead of it being quote unquote embarrassing. Now, I understand there's a sliding scale for all this, right? And you could say maybe this crosses the line of passion when you're following someone around. And maybe even for Angel, there'll come a day where it's not the day she'd want to like have gone and done it that way. But this is how she plays the best version of herself. And we talked Mm. about this being a part of individuality. I didn't talk a lot of shit when I played. I don't know about you. I was too tired and not good enough to make my job harder out there by getting somebody pissed off. Like I live by the wise words of former Saints right tackle Zach Streif, who said you don't get bonus points for blocking somebody when they're mad. I needed every bit of help I was going to get, so I wasn't out there to piss. And I wasn't good at it. Like, shit talking is a skill. It's an art form that some people are really good at. And I think part of the reason that I'm a little bit drawn to shit talkers is, one, you know, we had teammates. Some of them had to talk shit to play their best, to feel like they were going to be able to go out there and be the best version of themselves. And I always wanted guys, like, don't be somebody else. Be you. As long as that means you're handling your business away, you know, when we're in the training facility, handling your business and practice, go out there and be you. Be whatever you need, and I'll support you to make sure we're getting the job done here. Part of the reason I'm kind of envious is because 
I didn't have the ability. I just I wasn't good enough and I wasn't confident enough in myself to go right. out there and say those kind of things. No one eventually can put the target on you in the other way. I didn't want that undue smoke. That's why yes. I kind of have an appreciation for people that do. I, Mike, for another reason or kind of like a 1A to that is I love it because and I love shit talkers because I don't see myself that highly like I, I'm not fond of myself in that way I don't think that I am the shit regardless of what play it was just happened like I I don't believe those things so to go out there and tell someone else imagine how much you have to believe something in yourself to go tell someone else that you're competing against that they can't F with you well that and that's why when I saw Caitlin Clark in her John Cena you can't see me especially against Louisville and all the shit she was talking um, you know, and I'm sensitive to, to Louisville uh, things. I realized in that moment that this person is getting under my skin because they are so confident in what they're doing earlier on in the tournament, like not even in the in the final four. This is a lead eight game that I was like, I I'm envious of this. And that's where the hate comes from. But I can respect that hate. Yeah. Well, I, I think you brought up two important areas where I think we get a lot of this pushback. Well, there's a few. One, like we said, some of it's a little bit of psychoanalysis. Like maybe you are envious right. of a confidence that someone else clearly displays that we may not have. The other part of this is, as far as shit talking, especially as a player, the only two people I couldn't stand shit talking from was a player that clearly wasn't any good or wasn't as good as they mm. were talking. Because then you're like, the words don't match the actions here, or at least in the space. Like, we played Miami in the Sun Bowl my junior year, our junior year at Notre Dame. And I have this vivid memory of Marcus Forsen, who was a five-star D tackle at Miami, Ooh. walking by our table at dinner. And for anyone that hasn't been to a college football bowl game, the dinners where you've got both teams can get a little bit testy. Like our freshman yeah. year, we went to Hawaii and those guys were doing the haka to team function and like shouting yeah. all this stuff at us. You had mm -hmm. Miami then and Marcus Forsen is walking by our table and he looks at us with disgust and he goes, y'all dream to be in Canes. And I sat there like, like I understand he's a very good player. You guys had seven wins or more in the Sun Bowl just like us. Like none of us are really in a position to talk all that much. And so the notion that we were envious of them eating the same like Outback Steakhouse catered meal at the Sun Bowl in El Paso was ridiculous. And so shit talking like that feels dumb. Yes. Shit talking when it's someone that's playing your team is the thing that gets under your skin. You mentioned with, uh, with, Louis, with Louisville because of your affinity for them. It was just the opposite. I root for the Notre Dame women's team, and I root for mm -hmm. Notre Dame and everything. And so when Haley Van Litt's out there chirping shit at Notre Dame, playing against them, yeah, she agitates the hell out of me because she's getting over on my team. That's sports fandom. Yeah. You're okay. It's working right if you're bothered. I've seen everyone make the point yes. that sports are better when you feel something. When you've got yes. – and heroes and villains is the wrong way to frame it because it means like it, – it makes it sound like there's something inherently bad about it. Right. It's the first take principle. You've got to feel something and to have people that are willing enough to put themselves out on front street to write checks that their ass has to cash. Yes. That is going to make you feel something when you've got an affinity for a team. The difference is, is it's okay to be aggravated and it's okay to get mad, but to come out and use all these labels and judgment words like classless and to make this an indictment yeah. of the program and the young woman as a whole, there's so much vitriol attached to it that to me seems like a massive overreach in the response. Yeah, Mike, that's one, one, one thing I saw on Twitter that I thought was, was brilliant is how are we talking about class in a, in a realm where we're talking about 
both sports and entertainment, right? Because like where in the level of entertainment is class something that's held up on a pedestal, right? Like if you class seems boring in, in if we're talking about something that's going to make me want to come back and watch and talk to my friends about like I never call someone up and was like, man, did you see how classy this player was in 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 win or defeat? Like, but if I'm going to say, if there was a beef going on, if there was a brawl, if it, what Angel Reese did, obviously, like we said, to the upteenth degree where she could have laid off the gas a little bit and admitted it in the post game that she, she was in her moment. She was getting in her bag at that point in time because the game was over. Which she's 20 years but, old and just won a national championship. If right. my 21-year-old ass had been coursing with national championship hype, who knows what I would, who knows what any of us would have done. It's the act like you've been there versus right. act like you're never going back principle we've talked out on prior prior podcasts. Like, yes. put yourself in that situation as a young person. We've all been young and dumb. Very few of us have been young and incredibly successful on an adrenaline filled stage like that so i do always want to offer that caveat like it's not to completely absolve like you said she even said yeah after the fact you probably got away from me a little bit but i also just want to acknowledge like man think about what that moment's got to feel like for a second especially in a sport like basketball we're talking cash shit is just such a part of the experience well then and also the the reports before they got there they were offended by the way caitlin clark was handling South Carolina. They called it our, our SEC sisters. Like I, I feel like there was there was more going on there when it comes to what LSU was fueled to do. Like I was, they have a national championship waiting on the other side, other side of beating this team. Sure, that's enough gusto and energy to get you up in the morning to you know go do your thing. But all the extra stuff that went along with. Caitlin Clark being the type of player that she is, the the game that she had against South Carolina, uh, who beat LSU by twenty in February. Like, like I, th- I think it's it it all led to something that we are all going to be excited to see next season, which is what I think is the most important part. Yes, and this is the other thing. Like people in sports talk all the time about wanting teams that seem to have genuine disdain for one another. If we yes. somehow pull an Iowa LSU tournament game out of our ass next year, since Caitlin Clark is coming back, that's going to be incredible. What compelling theater to have that in the backdrop of all this? You're absolutely right, Brandon, because you also did dispel one of the other things that that sort of bulletin board material is what fueled LSU. Like, no, winning the first national yeah. title in school history, winning those players' first national titles is more than enough but it is the literal icing on the cake when yeah you know that in the back of your mind and so as the clock's getting run out at the end of the game now you're gonna empty the clip now it's like yeah i know all that shit i know everyone was talking about you as the main story even if it's not true how often do we see that from the Alabamas and Georgias of the world who invent some imaginary slight about how their team was portrayed? That's championship DNA 101. And so right. if they looked at this and said, she got more favorable media coverage than us, they propped her up as this big star and we didn't get nearly as much love, whatever goes into all that, whatever those feelings are, obviously like there's a lot of the way that this is also all cased that certainly like there's a racial component to this for a certain Absolutely. section of people who are looking at the way that this is being handled with a black player versus how it was handled for a white player in Caitlin Clark and how it's been received. It's impossible to ignore. I'm not saying that's everyone guilty of that. I think there are generational lines here like we've talked about. I think Mm -hmm. there are certainly racial lines here because there's a racial component to most everything that happens, especially in this country. But the bottom line at the end of all of it is 
it just felt like such a massive overreaction for something that is objectively interesting will drive even more interest like that was one thing angel reese said after the game is i felt like I helped do something to further women's basketball this season. And by her saying that about herself, that also includes Caitlin Clark. Going out there and being comfortable enough to be yourself is what inspires. Those are the sports figures that we tend to remember through the ages are the ones that are comfortable enough to give of themselves in whatever way that is on the biggest stage possible. That inspires the next generation. And as Angel Reese pointed out, young girls that look like me who want people to look up to being themselves in a way that surely has been not allowed far more than a lot of their white counterparts. And so I think all that stuff is important in its own right. But at the end of the day, it's just fucking fun. It's fun. It's sports and it's allowed to be fun. And there's allowed to be shit talking. It's basketball for God's sake. Yeah, it, it is all of those things, Mike. But I also think outside of the racial component, it's men versus women. Right. And I feel like. Yeah, there is that too. Yeah. Like the concept that like women need to be a specific way to be classified as women or accepted in the society and X, Y, and Z. Like you telling me that this basketball team full of women can't be passionate about basketball and winning a basketball game. Like, like it, it makes zero sense in a way that like what uh, Russell Westbrook's picture has been circling around the, the internet after he scored uh, a contested foul and was just flexing on the ground like so excited great photo yes but if we can't have angel reese flexing like that caitlin clark flexing like that because they scored a, a, a needed basket at the time probably one that was more important than whatever russell west russell westbrook well, scored with the clippers Brandon, like we can even get more specific like austin reeves just hit pat beverly with the too small coming back like directed at pat bev a direct yes. response to what we had, he had been doing because that's what this was right it was a response to what they had seen caitlin clark doing and saying i'm gonna throw that back in your face and shit talk 101 we saw that play out with austin reeves and we all hyped it up and we all had a blast with it but because you got a bunch of people parachuting in on this that probably haven't spent enough time with the women's game and a bunch of people who are coming here with that background of racial elements of the element of them being women of the element of them being college players which i also think Mm. there's always a weird power dynamic with a certain subject subsect of people that are talking about this thing not even watching just talking about it so it, it it's again you can disagree with how it went down and not have it be so damn serious. I myself, again, incredibly envious of people that can go out there, talk their shit, and back it up the way that both of the young ladies in this conversation that we mentioned did. So congratulations to LSU on their national championship. What, Brandon? Is there anything that you actually would talk shit about, like why you're doing it? Like you're in the moment and you're kind of like, you feel yourself saying a little stuff because you're you're in the game. Like I feel like uh, a lot of times, um, beer pong people who are really good at beer pong do a lot yeah. of that. I almost hit the equalizer on my dentist two years ago because I hadn't. <laughs> I uh, I was going back there. And I hadn't been in a while. It was around the pandemic. And my family had... Well, this was actually more directed towards my family than my dentist. And they were all chirping me about how, oh, man, you're in for it. Talking, you know, the scraper and how your mouth bleeds and all that. They were acting like I was going to go in there and get my comeuppance because I hadn't been in a while. Little did they know, I had done my usual last bit of dental cramming before the two-week notice flossing brushing more mm-hmm. being diligent about that getting right with the lord and i went in yeah. there and the dentist like you know but when you know when the last time you were here was three years ago <laughs> sir i went in there 
was in and out of there like an F1 pit stop. Not like the, the kind that Ferrari runs, but a good one. In and out of there, no pain. They said my mm. mouth looked phenomenal. I walked out. I put my family on speakerphone, and Love I it. did the fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> I was in my bag. I legitimately in the parking lot hit the silencer. I swear to God. Hand up. Mm. I swear I hit that in the parking lot. If they've got camera footage from 2021, go find it because it was up. Okay, great. I just wanted to. Uh, what about you? Uh, Did you ha- do you have anything that you t- you would talk cash shit about? <sighs> it's very odd to say. Uh, I come from a household of. I'll say it like this: Michelle was uh, played basketball in high school. Something that people don't talk about with Notre Dame students is eighty percent of Notre Dame students of the student body were varsity athletes in high school. Right? Something outsiders don't talk about. Something that everyone on Notre Dame's campus will let you know every single second of every day that you're there. Mike, I swear, I said that once to somebody who went to Notre Dame and they were so surprised. I was like, oh, I need to spread the gospel. I need to spread the gospel. I'm not saying it enough. Um, so anyways, she, uh, Michelle won an AAU basketball, won an AAU tournament in high school. Uh, but so when we play horse, She's a really good shooter, a much more efficient shooter than I am. So anytime I am up on her or she's like winning, I mean, the, when I go to these like crazy body layup shots or these trick shots I know how to do and like, and I'm up, I like I get to talking mad shit like, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe fix that shot a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, maybe if you don't have to step into it, you know what I mean? Like, like I just, I, I become someone else. And, it, and it's all because of basketball. So I understand the, the, the gusto that comes along with it. Brandon, like speaking of doing that to someone's basketball accomplishments, yeah. I made that mistake when I was doing radio with Chinea Gumake, who, in addition Ooh. to being a current member of the LA Sparks, <laughs> was also a dominant force of fury in college McDonald's basketball at Stanford. Oh, no. Like at Stanford, Brandon, her oh, yeah. basketball yeah. resume, and I'm going to pull it up right now to make sure that I've got all of this in the way that I had to read it on air, because we found her three-point percentage was a little bit lacking. Shanae was a post player, and so we were mm-hmm. like, man, you really didn't have that three-ball right, and she made us go back and list every award that she had in her college career, and this was the resume that she made us read on air after we talked shit about that. Chinea Gumake, who left Stanford as the all-time career scoring leader for either sex in Pac-12 conference history before Kelsey Plum of Washington ended up topping that in 2016. She was also like multi-time Pac-12 all-tournament team, Pac-12 defensive player of the year in 2012, 2013, and 2014, was four-time all-Pac-12 all-defensive team selection, and was Pac-12 player of the year in 2013 and 2014. Like, she was the fucking truth. (laughs) I mean, the truth And and ended up joining her sister as the number one overall pick in the draft in like a couple of years apart. So I made that mistake of poking the bear and then in talking shit that I couldn't back up, I got reminded she was actually her and I was just doing a radio show with her. It's always fun to be reminded that uh, this is all fun and games. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, no, that the receipts are very real. Uh, I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? 
Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. i just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, speaking of fun and games, uh, we got one more coming up tonight. The NCAA men's tournament is finishing up tonight, which means our bracket challenge will be finishing up, which means uh, we will have the winner from our bracket challenge, the 453 of you in there. There's a decent amount still with a chance up top. Somehow against all odds, because in this tournament, I saw at least for ESPN's bracket challenge, um, there was something like, I mean, the most minuscule percent, 0.04% of brackets in ESPN's men's tournament challenge picked the Huskies to face San Diego State in the NCAA Finals. So congratulations to you, Psychos. I still have to figure out what Brandon's score was because, again, he couldn't be bothered to enter it into our pool. So now I have to hand score it to figure out which one of us is going to have to redo Pro Day coming up. Okay, Mike, I don't know if I... I, Kai, you are a competitor. I don't know if I trust you to score this without being supervised. Is there any transparency that you can share with me? I will me? let you check the math if you would like to, Brandon. I'm already doing your homework for you. But if you want to check it and look that gift horse in the mouth, then be my guest. Well, let's see what the what the numbers are because I'm still confident that I'm, uh, I could win. So, Oh, my God. Uh, in the meantime, uh, who are you confident wins this game, Brandon? I look at this one. UConn is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. They have been steamrolling through this tournament, winning by, I think, an average of 15-and-a-half points during the tournament. Uh, they are on the verge of what would be UConn's fifth championship since 1999. They would tie Duke for the most since 1985 and cement themselves, I think, as college basketball's version of the San Antonio Spurs. Like, the quietest dynasty that does not get its name mentioned alongside a lot of the Blue Bloods in the sport. That's completely fair, Mike. Uh, Why is that? Is it Big East hate? Like, it doesn't seem like... Because we've all been very much alive during this time where UConn has been... (laughs) Both doing well in the tournament, in the Final Four, and guess what? We saw all those championships as well. I know. I really don't know how to explain it other than the fact that relative to the whole history of college basketball, that's still incredibly new. And true, so true, because of true. that, you've got so much. Bamani Jones did a great thread on this, especially as it pertains to teams like UCLA that got so much of their clout in the Wooden era, teams like mm. IU and what you had for so long. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like... So much of that is baked into us from the time that we're little of the teams that we're told are basketball schools and the teams that we're told are not. And so for UConn to do so much of their damage as we got to the 21st century, I think is kind of taking a while for the system to update, even if it should be that case. Like I grew up in Connecticut my entire life. I saw I moved there in 1998. So the entirety of my adult life has been UConn on the men's and women's side. 
especially the women's side. They're, you know, an overwhelming monster of success. Right. But on the men's side, they were consistent. This would be a third championship through or excuse me, a fifth championship for men's basketball with three different coaches. Like you had Jim Calhoun ended up winning three. You had Kevin Ollie win one, and now it would be Dan Hurley winning one on his end. So multiple eras, multiple star players. Like you had Rip Hamilton with the first title. You had Kemba Walker's tournament. You had Shabazz Napier's tournament. It's just on and on down the list. That? A number of different ways and eras. There's that number one draft pick that came out of UConn. Oh, uh, Mecca Okafor. I'm like Okafor. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but we used to I'll date a this. lifeguard at my pool. <laughs> Super nice guy. How dare you skip over him? She unfortunately um, uh, didn't make it to the NBA with him. Oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of okay, cutting room floor. Um, but I, I will say, <laughs> I will say this, Mike. To answer your original question, I don't see anyone, even San Diego State, with those big robots that they have down there. All those people look like everyone on that team looks like. Uh, Somebody that was in iRobot, Will Smith. Um, I, I don't see how anyone can score in the middle with those two behemoths uh, that UConn is working with down down low. Like, I just, it just seems like they're dominant for a reason. And we saw it against Miami. Well, I mean, really, the last two games, like UConn, so much of it gets made offensively for them. But against Gonzaga and against Miami, you had two teams that were top five offenses that were held to their worst outputs of the season. So UConn deserves a ton of defensive credit, even if that's the book on San Diego State coming in. I think UConn gets this done. I think that they have been one of the best teams in basketball, like we've talked about for a while now uh, this season. And they're going to cement that against the San Diego State team that wants to make this ugly is very much. I joked about this with the Baylor team a couple years ago. Looks like they work out with the football team. But at the end of the day, I just don't think that's enough for how complete this UConn team has turned out to be. It's a bunch of tight ends that are, you know, they're lauded for their defense, which is great. But the way the FAU found the chance to score, but the way they came back tells me the the champion spirit thing. Like, I'm, I'm torn because I don't believe what I see with my eyes from San Diego State. And I haven't this entire time. I mean... It would be real. At this point, you got to believe what you've seen because the formula has been muck it up and make it a defensive battle, right? This is the yeah. first. Not this is the first tournament when we talked about for the Mountain West since 2017. This has been first every step of the way for San Diego State. The five seed they advanced to their first Elite Eight, their first Final Four, and now their first national title in program history. It would be the second time that a first-time Final Four team won the national championship. Do you know who the first team to do that was? No. UConn in 1999. Their first Final Four under Jim Calhoun, the Rip Hamilton team. They were a one seed in that tournament. That was also the only time they've won the national championship as a one seed. As a one seed. Wow. Like, also crazy thing to think about. In 2004, it was a Mecca Okafor's team and Ben Gordon. They were a two seed. In 2011, Kemba Walker's team, I think they were... uh, I think that was... I forget which one of those, it was 2011 or 2014, was the first seventh seed to ever win an NCAA tournament. Damn. So, yeah, and then well, the other been, time they were a three Michigan seed. State. It had been before Michigan State won because they were a seventh seed when they won yeah. as well. But I, I think, I'll say this, Mike, to back to the bracket talk, I'm very upset with myself for not putting UConn further along because like I know what I've seen with my own eyes like I and also know I'll, I'm, I tend to lean towards the 
you know, names that usually win these type of games. And UConn is one of them. Like, I, how did you not have them in your bracket at getting to the Final Four? Mostly because I didn't watch a lot of college basketball this year, and I grew up hating UConn as a program. Like, <laughs> I was a Notre Dame fan in UConn territory. It, uh, it you know it speaks for itself, but there's no denying they've always been incredibly important. And like the Big East being a thing again. Now we understand Man. it's not the same parts as it was pre 2012, but yeah. that is a part of this history where now you've got them. And I think I saw Myron Metcalf at ESPN say, in college basketball, it's a legit Power Six. Like it's the Power mm. Five conferences, and it's the Big East. Marquette was a one seed. Creighton was on the cusp of making another deep tournament run. You've got really good basketball teams playing in that conference. That was a huge central part of my childhood. The tournament games being played at Madison Square Garden, like all of that stuff, mattered a lot. And I think it's got to be at least part of the reason. In addition to Jim Calhoun being one of the you know big time great coaches for that program, as to how you could build this in Stores, Connecticut. If you haven't been to Stores, don't go. If it is not worth a visit. No part of Connecticut's worth anything more than a long weekend, but especially that campus. It's, it's, I mean, I have friends that'll go there to tell you it's not the best place in the world. South Bend's not the best place in the world, but how you Fair. were able to build a basketball power in that environment has been wild to watch. So I think they win it. I think they get championship number five, and I think tomorrow we get to have a bunch more legacy talk about what's up for that program. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. In the meantime, Brandon, it's Monday. We got to hand out some roses from the weekend to deserving performers. Yes. I want you to start this thing off. Who's your first rose going to? Okay, let me pull up our joint sheet so I can know. Um, no, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the the women's tournament for this. Alexis Morris, uh, guard for LSU. Alexis Morris started her career off at Baylor under Kim Mulkey back in 2017. She was released from the team. It was supposed to be a, a huge thing for her to get there. She was the top point guard in the class going with Kim Mulkey there, who, uh, who was obviously was doing well, Baylor. Uh, dismissed from the program, which took her to Rutgers, then to Texas A&M, and then from Texas A&M to LSU. And uh, for her story where she said she thought that she possibly was never going to play basketball again, there's points in times where she felt like she was going to give up after she left Rutgers. For her to stick with it, continue to play, had a great game, especially in the second half uh, for LSU in this in this uh, national championship game. 
she said she beat all the odds by even getting to this point, but making it to the game. That was a story she had before winning it, and I was already kind of pulling for her in that regard. But for someone to jump schools, I don't know if anyone's done it, and that's why I think these transfer portal kids who are jumping schools are getting are getting slack for things that people don't even know the 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 half of it. It's very difficult to change schools and to try to perform and to get on a new team and get the respect from people and all the different things. For her to be now uh, all SEC first team at LSU and win a championship after bouncing around and and thinking she's going to have her career in, in Texas and Baylor with Kim Mulkey just to be right back with Kim Mulkey, uh, I, I just think it's a really cool story. Yeah, I, I think it's a reminder that every transfer's journey and decision-making process is different and personal, and we do tend to lump them all under one umbrella. And so right. the reasons why it happens and the outcomes are things that ultimately only one person needs to have matter to them and to control. And so shout-out to her uh, for doing it and being another one of the great stories on this team. Uh, Brandon, my first row is going to go to Pat Cavanaugh, Notre Dame lacrosse attackman who just became Ooh. the all-time assist leader. Uh, in school history with 111 and counting. His brother, Matt, I believe, is the school's all-time points leader. They are the first family of Notre Dame lacrosse. And this now positions Notre Dame. They should be the number two team in the country since number one, uh, or Duke, just took down number one Virginia, who had just beat Notre Dame as the ACC men's lacks round and round they go. All that is to say, because Notre Dame ended up winning, Maryland ended up losing to Michigan, and Duke ended up beating Virginia, the Notre Dame-Duke game that takes place in South Bend next weekend should be number one Duke versus number two Notre Dame. So one-two matchup in college lacrosse. It really like Notre Dame, Duke, Virginia, Maryland, Princeton are like the teams really at the upper crust of the sport this year. And I am trying to find a way to Final Four weekend in Philly coming up on Labor Day or uh, Memorial Day weekend. So fingers crossed. But congratulations to Pat watching the Cavanaugh's play lacrosse at Notre Dame has been one of the joys of my lifetime. They are incredibly creative pit bulls and i love them dearly as someone who wants to comment on what you're wearing to the podcast finally you got your pll crew neck on yeah i can say shout out to uh rj and paul rabel and the guys over there they always take uh tremendous care of the fans of the sport growing the game uh brandon who's your second rose going to my second rose is going to a number, Mike. Uh, my second rose is going to the number 269. Nice. 269. Uh, that is the number of players born internationally in the MLB opening day rosters. So out of the 945 players who played in opening uh, 26 game, uh, 26 man rosters for MLB, 296 of them were, were from out of these states, which I think is really cool, Mike. Uh, the Dominican Republic leads with 104 players, um, and then Venezuela with 62, Cuba with 21, Puerto Rico with 19, Mexico with 15, Canada with 10, J- Japan with 8, Colombia with 7, and on and on and on. And I'm giving you guys a treat. I'm going to say each of those players' names. <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that listed in our doc, and my eyes almost glazed over. I was terrified just now. Not that I don't appreciate all of the work that they have put into getting that point in their career, but God in heaven, thank you. Oh, no. I mean, the, the joke in that is the fact that I would not do a very good job uh, giving any of those guys credit for their actual names because I am a dumb American. 
Imagine if we just spent a podcast naming 269 baseball player names. That sounds like an incredible Levitard show bit. I'm going to let Stu Gotts know that he needs to take care of that one. But incredible for a sport that we've always talked about, uh, has struggled with a diversity problem largely in my lifetime, is now watching a player in Shohei Itani, an international player, come and become one of the big faces of the sport. It is all going in a positive – well, I shouldn't say all – that's a positive sign from what we've yeah, seen off I, the opening day roster. I was going to say uh, multiple different races, creeds, colors, playing baseball helps what I think is the big fight of helping African-Americans and, and black Americans get to the game. Um, I, I had the fortune of talking to CC Sabathia, something that he's very passionate about, Dontre Willis as well. Um, it's just I, I think it's important, and I'd love to see more more people of color playing the game of baseball, especially in the major leagues. We had a conversation about being comfortable being yourself in sports settings and baseball. That has been a place where that's been a huge fight, especially for players like we saw in the World Baseball Classic that come from other countries that have a lot more fun with baseball than we have traditionally in the United States. And the fact that we're now finally creating space for that to be the case in the major league game, thumbs up from me. Uh, Brandon, my last rose is going to go to Kevin Owens. Now one part of the uh, tag team champions of WWE at WrestleMania 39 alongside yeah. um, Sami Zayn, his recently reunited best friend, sneaking a Snickers bar into the postgame presser at WrestleMania. Now, Snickers a pretty big sponsor for WWE. They were all over. I went to WrestleMania 39 night one in Los Angeles, like we said off the top of the pod, and got to experience that whole thing. And I will say this about Kevin Owens. He is incredibly athletic especially given what he looks like, which is more or less me. Like, he is Mm. a relatable-bodied king. He is someone with a little bit of a tummy on him, a lot of (laughs) tattoos, big bearded white guy. He hasn't come on home and shaved his head bald. He's still got the hair up top, and I love that for him. But he's got high socks. He looks like he's cognizant of his circulation. He looks like like me at one point in time. He's gone swimming in the pool with his shirt on. And in the post-match press conference, when him and his reunited best friend are basking in the glow of taking down the Usos and stymieing the bloodline and what they've meant in pro wrestling, he's sitting there and just very nonchalantly is trying to eat a Snickers bar while Sami Zayn is talking at the mic and I just found that so heartwarming as someone who has routinely tried to eat food on internet television shows without getting caught and has still managed to get caught how could you not get caught this food that's in your mouth and you're talking no because it's when you're not talking he wasn't talking there and when I used to be on debatable with Pablo Torre and Dominique Foxworth I used to sneak M&M's out of my candy jar and I would just kind of sit there and like pretend like I was like oh man make a really good point just pop them into my mouth and see if I could chew without them noticing well you just want some blood sugar like why don't fight for that M&M I'm an addict Snickers are worth fighting for. M&M's are not worth fighting for. Peanut M&M's are worth fighting for. Okay, yeah, you didn't say the peanut was in there. I apologize I'm sorry, yeah, for no, the, for the slander for the. I, sh- the I should have clarified. That's on me. That's yeah. on me. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but I do yeah. I do love that. I do I do love. I mean, as someone who grew up loving Rakishi and Mark Henry and other thick kings of wrestling, man. And let me just say, like. 
being there in person for WrestleMania, I get it. Like, will it make me a lifelong WrestleMania wrestling fan or lifelong WWE fan? Probably not. Like, but could you convince me to go back to another live event? Hell freaking yeah. This thing taking place in SoFi where the last time I was there was Georgia stomping out TCU in the national championship game and seeing yeah. how much they had embraced Hollywood, the showmanships, this gigantic stage, and then the crowd surge of everyone involved. I said I was at Taylor Swift the weekend before and the cult-like adherence to the people on the stage was the common thread. It mattered so much to everyone there. That crowd was juiced. They knew the part that they were supposed to play. They knew the words and the songs that they were supposed to sing along with. And it was electric, man. Like The fact that John Cena started this thing off in the United States Championship match and was probably the most like ho-hum match of the night, getting to watch a guy who was one of the wrestlers I actually knew, who's transcended into Hollywood, look really old old wearing jorts on that arena ring and losing to Austin Theory was awesome and a little bit sad, if we're being honest. A little bit sad because he definitely looked old. I mean, it's John Cena. I mean, he's on. he has a whole, he has a whole series on HBO Max. Like, yeah, like I can't, I can't imagine him keeping up. No. It's, 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 it's his old job at this point. Brandon, you would have loved there was a four-way men's tag team match with the biggest guys on earth. The Viking Raiders, who were just big guys dressed up as Vikings, the Alpha Academy, the Street Profits, who ended up winning, and then Braun Strowman, who's like 6'7", has to be over three bills of pure muscle. Him and Ricochet just running around beating the absolute hell out of people. They're all in the ring at certain points. It was the most mass before the Brock Lesnar match from night two that I have ever seen in one area in my life. And they were skilled bigs. Like this was how they would call skill player skill, tight ends, yes. big skill, and offensive linemen, um, just, you know, O and D line. Yeah, big or power sometimes. Yeah, power sometimes group. This power. was power skill. This was big, big skill. Wow. These guys were incredible acrobats. And Mike, I feel like that ring is a lot smaller than I always think it expected yes. to be that thing had to shrink with it with it with a big skill out there i brandon i have no idea how they pulled it off incredibly nimble for their size it was like watching a pack of hippos like have you ever seen how quick and agile hippos actually are in their natural habitat that's how this shit went down it was incredible so you would have loved all of the beef on display in that one seth freaking rollins is electric that man is everything i think about when I think about pro wrestling, the entrance, mm. the song, the outfits, the persona, all of it. And going up against Logan Paul, who, while I don't really like him for what he represents, I have to appreciate how good he is at this entire business of healing, just went up against the person he could only hope to be in Seth Rollins. So, like, that was awesome. Charlotte Flair going up against Rhea Ripley was awesome. Rey Mysterio got inducted into the Hall of Fame the day before and then had to fight his son at WrestleMania and got to actually take out a belt and whoop his ass in front of Rhea Ripley, who is, I think, kind of like Dominic Mysterio. Like, I don't know if they're like, if there was like a boy toy thing in there with her or if she was just like the one that had coaxed him over, but she watched Dominic get his ass whooped and then still managed to go out and put on for her city and for Hot Topic Girls mm. Everywhere, as Spencer Hall put it, and beat Charlotte Flair's ass in the ring and take over the belt there. Like, it was just one after another. Like, I was amazed at 
how they could constantly keep that going, the energy everyone kept up over four hours, the fact that they, in between these matches, would have little highlight rips that would get you caught up because they understand this is a big event. There's people like me there. They've got little highlight reels that get you caught up on yeah. all the backstory between all these people. They give you all the things you need to pay attention to, why these matches are important, what you're looking for overall. I mean, we had Pat McAfee and George Kittle show up to whoop the Miz's ass while he hosted. And George Kittle did it in the Yeezy Red Octobers, which have to be at least five grand at this point. <laughs> like, when went out, showed up, and tag-teamed with Pat McAfee, one of our podcasting brothers-in-arms, to take down the Miz. And that's all before we got to the undisputed tag-team matchup at the end with the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens like we talked about. So it, it, it never dragged. It was incredibly compelling theater the amount of times and we'll have we have a bunch of youtube content that's going to come up off this we did a little you know vlog series going to that and checking it out you'll get to see moments where i am genuinely stunned by what's going on charlotte flair and rhea ripley should have broken their necks multiple times i do not know how they're walking today or if they're walking today there were multiple moments that will take your breath away like that in a way that i having not been to one of those events before was not prepared for it was another really welcoming community of fans and so top to bottom had a freaking blast man well you obviously were in good company because much like football and professional football wrestling is a family sport Right, you mentioned Rey Mysterio Jr. having to fight his son, right? Rey Mysterio had to fight his son Dominic. He's not a junior, but you know. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, well, that's is that's actually a good segue, Mike, because ever since we got Roy Rose Jr. on, and obviously we had O'Shea Jackson Jr. on, I'm thinking we really do need to corner the market in famous juniors on this podcast here and even if they they don't have a junior to their name like Cody Rhodes and and, and Dusty Rhodes you know, formerly known as Stardust like I feel like that could be our avenue for sports people of in sports like adjacent like we should get Robert Downey Jr. on one day 100% couldn't agree more and it's also inspired me I need to kick my dad's ass like <laughs> WrestleMania 40 is at Lincoln Financial in Philly I need to go there and try and Ooh, kick your dad's dad, your dad back in Philly it's all there. Oh, I it's like all there. Talking about uh, a storyline. God, I am going to feed his forehead to the turnbuckle. Uh, <laughs> Brandon, uh, oh, before man. I cut a promo for dad, it's probably time we wrap this thing up. Do you know oh, what dude, time it is? I really, I'm, okay, I'll say this. I had a song picked out, but I'm not sure where this, then and the third goes. Let's go. Now that's what we gotta get all the use on the world to all our girls. Treat them like diamonds and pearls. Dedicated to all the girls around the world. Yeah. Now that's what we gonna sign and shake it in combination again. This flip this one upon your musical disc. Well, yeah. <laughs> Girl, you're my angel. You're my darling angel. Closer in my pimps you are to me Baby, surely you're my angel You're my darling angel Girl, this, that, and the third Lady Life's one big party when you're still young No, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna I, <laughs> I never know how far you're actually gonna take it <laughs> But with Angel Reese 
and Shaggy. I just feel like Angel. I just you know I wanted to show oh, her some love. That I okay. It was in the it was in the air. So no, I don't hate that connection one bit. And if you loved it too, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five star rating, and tell Brandon what a phenomenal job he did with the tie in there. Uh, Brandon, oh, let's finish this thing off. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to end everybody's day on. And let's start it off. It is Masters Week now, officially. Uh, Jim yes. Nance's voice is never too far away. The world's premier golf nap is coming up in one short Sunday. And Tiger Woods has answered any lingering questions about will he or won't he compete in the 87th Masters by showing up to the practice round at Augusta National on Sunday. The 47-year-old uh, has just one official PGA Tour event in more than seven months when he tied for 45th at the Genesis Invitational. And he said... At this point, with how his body is, based on what he's been through, he's going to play the master, or he's going to play the majors, and maybe a couple of other tournaments. And so, these are the blessings we have to count, and we just have to hope that Tiger Woods can find another bit of, you know, Masters magic in him. But he's one part of what makes this special. We know there's all the live PGA beef, and going to be interesting to see how the pairings line up with that. But because it's the Masters, Tiger's always going to have an outsized amount of emotional importance to this event. So I'm happy he's going to be there, and I'm happy we get to see him. I am too, Mike. Uh, just the last important Masters for me was watching Tiger win it again. I'm sure a lot of people can can say that. But after what he's gone through since then with the car accident, I'm, I'm thankful that he is playing with his son let alone playing in the masters again like i this is this is he is tiger woods in like every way shape or form of what that means to be special 100 percent. i remember people were i was at a brunch spot in connecticut and people were crying at the bar when tiger won that masters that's how deeply and i i was i, I understood i got it like it mattered that yeah. much yeah so I, we we're finally believing like he might catch jack Nicholson. you know it, it wasn't that us, was the talk then. It gave us the freedom to hope about that in right, a way right, that we right. did not think was going to be the case. So, very glad to see that. We'll have plenty of Masters coverage as we get towards the end of this week. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Brandon, uh, we haven't talked a lot about the Premier League uh, up until this point in the season, but we've got a little bit of a lull here. And the team that I've been following for the last couple summers in Chelsea decided to sack their manager, Graham Potter, pretty unexpectedly. Now, Chelsea hadn't been great. They're on the bottom half of the table right now. They haven't been you know, performing up to the standards of new ownership as they went through all of the difficulties that came with having a Russian oligarch as your owner as war in Russia started and obviously mm. the sale of the team to the Todd Bailey Clear Lake group uh, has netted them now two managers fired in less than a year and over 600 million pounds spent on players not getting the results you want the wild part about this is a lot of the players when they were reached out to by media said they found out through the team's press release a lot of them were expecting this guy to show up at practice on Monday and Tuesday wow. and so 
that style of news delivery is always something that's going to rub me a little bit of the wrong way. We've had the debate before about what's the right way to go about these things if you're a coach leaving. But if you're a team that is controlling this news that was pretty surprising to a lot of people involved, usually feels like letting the players on the team know first is the littlest bit of common courtesy you can muster. Yeah, I mean, if you've watched Ted Lasso at all, you know that it's very easy to get all the guys in one room, in the locker rooms, make a quick announcement. Yeah. I, I, but I actually also, as someone who played Division One football, especially at Notre Dame, we found out a lot about we found out about a lot of those moves as well via ESPN, Sports Center, TV reports. This was before Twitter was popping like that at all. So I can see how when money is involved, it's very hush hush until it happens. Yeah, and like I, I get it. There's some things people have to play close to the best, but you know, it's still they don't have like an immediate successor in mind right now. Um, I think uh, Bruno Saltor is acting as the interim coach right now. They've still got 10 games left in the Premier League. They've got a championship, a Champions League quarterfinal against Real Madrid coming up. So there's still plenty left to play for over the course of the season that now has gotten even more off the rails. So, Mike, I'll forgive you moving forward, but we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third. And what we do talk about is the new NBA collective bargaining agreement that got signed over the weekend. Now, I understand the fan toleration for labor talk is only so much, but this one is actually going to net us some things on the other side that are pretty concrete in the debates that we all like to have. There's the money things where now they're going to try and hamstring the teams that want to spend a lot to be really good. The teams that are normally just getting luxury taxed out the ass are now going to lose some mid-level exception mechanisms. Uh, as well as what they can utilize in trade. So cash considerations, moving first-rounders that are seven years away, and signing free agent players in the buyout market. All those things are going to be restricted to teams that are $17.5 million over the tax line. And I saw Draymond Green and a number of other players pissed off about this as they also raise the percentage uh, on which uh, extensions can come for upper-level players. So normally, like, those max extensions could be, like, a 120% increase on a current deal. Now they can be a 140% increase. All those things together just usually end up pricing out middle-class players. The guys that we've usually seen, like the names no one knows making a ton of money, if you go back Mm. to when this happened in the NFL in 2011, veteran players were tired of rookies making more than them coming into the league, and so they instituted that rookie wage scale. And all that ended up happening is really good quarterbacks and even not-so-good quarterbacks – just got a lot more money, and all of the middle-tier NFL players at other positions became pretty expendable in favor of the younger, cheaper labor. So I don't know if that'll work out exactly that way in the NBA. I just know that anytime you're trying to make rules with the richest of the rich in mind, it usually ends up only benefiting them. So the more important thing, though, for our conversations is Adam Silver finally got his midseason tournament that could arrive as soon as 2023-2024. We talked about European soccer. Adam Silver has been a longtime fan and has been a fan of the midseason tournaments, things like you know we talked about, the Champions League, CONCACAF, all the various tournaments that pop up over the course of these seasons. And so now he's going to get a regular season tournament that starts with pool play games in November, eight teams advancing to single elimination tournament in December, and then a final four held at a neutral site with Las Vegas as the prominent uh, venue in oh discussion. The teams that played in the championship, that game wouldn't count. 
But the teams that ended up making it to that point would end up playing an 83rd regular season game. There would be prize money. Like He's trying to make the regular season feel important again, Brandon. And I'm not sure if this vessel... And you know it'll lot. I think a lot depend on what that purse actually looks like. But I'm not sure that this arbitrary midseason title is going to be enough to make guys want to put their foot down on the pedal during the year. Uh, something else will, Mike. Did, did you... Yeah. So yeah. the other thing that might is now in an attempt to curb load management, the NBA is limiting eligibility for postseason awards like All NBA, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year to a mandatory 65 games played. I believe I saw Tom Haberstroh point out that under those rules, if it were this season, a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. on the Grizzlies would not be eligible for Defensive Player of the Year. And so that's something that I'd imagine is going to be met with a little bit more vitriol uh, just because most of what we saw come out of this CBA seems pretty player restrictive. Like I'll wait and yeah. see the full reporting from the other side. Is this coming from ESPN and Woj and Bobby Marks? I'll wait and see if there's anything here that strikes me as incredibly pro player, because so far most of this has seemed pretty in favor of management. Well, this may be a little bit pro player, but it's also going to lead to our guy, your guy, Stephen A. Smith, saying, telling more players that they need to stay off the weed because they have removed marijuana from uh, prohibited drugs from drug testing for the NBA in the new CBA. So now see, players can get as high as they like. I And I always look at those things and I wonder, is that something you gave up a chip at the bargaining table for because uh, I don't know how the, the NBA's the, the, the drug testing fought for that. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't know what that is because with the NFL, like the notion of trying to remove that, that's been something that's been like mutually agreed upon, and the league's like, yeah, us losing some of our best players to these arcane drug laws is dumb, right. and so the NFL's lowered the amount that you would or like heightened the amount you would have to test for to actually trigger a positive, and they've done these things to mitigate it. I don't know what the NBA is testing like. In the NFL, you got tested once a year. It was called the idiot test because True. if you couldn't not smoke for three weeks leading up to that to get on the other side and be able to smoke as much yeah. as you wanted, that's kind of on you even if it's a dumb rule. I don't right. know if the NBA is set up the same way or not, but I just hope that there wasn't like a meaningful concession to get to that because right. clearly there are other things here that are going to be far worse for the players overall than that. Yeah, like the NBA, the NFL is like hoping that – like they need something back from the players if they're going to make that move. Yeah, um, it's always yeah. it's always leveraged against you somehow. But maybe the NBA also looked at it and said, "Hey, we don't need to have any more of our players missing time than always." So I, I won't suppose too much about something I don't have the specifics of in front of me. But uh, Brandon, we'll see how this midseason tournament works. We'll see all of the debates that are going to now spark up about players getting just over that sixty-five game threshold as now teams alter their load management schedules. Since we know that's very front office based, but labor peace for seven years at least for everyone that's a fan of the association so congratulations to everyone involved congratulations to you for making it through this long ass monday podcast if you enjoyed it make sure you download subscribe rate review leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings youtube channel under the gojo with mike bullock jr tab in the podcast thanks so much enjoy the national championship of the men's side we'll talk to you tomorrow Boom. Money in the bank.